We're going to finish out chapter four and move into chapter five, and we'll actually finish that today as well. Uh, but if you can, go ahead and open up with me to that place. And, and before we, we, we go any further, I want to just take this moment uh, for us to acknowledge and also pray for Mariana Cannon. She, she passed out in the elevator right before the service. Many of you know her and, and saw that take place. She is getting checked out at the, at the hospital at this moment. She was talking before uh, she left, but, but we need to make sure that we are praying for her. And, and, uh, and also, I, I sense, I, I, may be, I may be off here, but I, but I sense that there is some unrest here in, in the room. You know, so I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm no mystic by any, by any means, but I just sense that, I don't know if it's that, you know, people are gone this weekend. It's a holiday weekend. I don't know what it might be, but I want you to know that the, that the Lord is at work in this room and the Lord is at work and he's about to work through his word. And he's got a whole lot that he's going to lay out for us today through a very weak vessel. But what I want us to do is go to the Lord in prayer. And, and I want, as I pray over not only myself and over you, uh, over Mariana, we, we wanna pray. I wanna ask if you would ask God, say, open my heart up, speak to me today. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that gives us hope, hope to, to sing about for all of eternity given us the opportunity to bless the Lord, oh my soul, for all that you have done. We can sing songs like hallelujah, what a savior. Sing hosanna because of what you have done, Lord, for us, bringing us to yourself. God, we pray for Mariana that you would comfort her and be with her, that you'd protect her body. I pray that it's, it's like she just told me earlier, that it's nothing. It's just some medicine confusion. I, I, I pray that's what it is. But God, we, we ask that you'd give doctors wisdom as they check her out and that she would be uh, back to her full health and restored back with us soon. Pray over the teaching of your word today. God, would you use it mightily in our midst? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're, uh, if you're new with us, we're, we're in a study right now, a series called Journey Through Genesis. We're making our way through the entire book right now. We are going to, like I said, finish up chapters four and five today. And it's a section of scripture that more than likely, even earlier the year, if you did some Bible reading through Genesis, you were tempted at least to either skim over or skip over this text. We'll see two genealogies, two listings of generations, and they're very easy if we're not careful to get bored with and skip over. We certainly never in our life wanted to get called on in any form of small group to read this section. We leave it to me today to get to do that, but with the names in here, what were their parents thinking? Okay, there's some difficult names. I don't even know, I've got like, if you could see my Bible right now, you would laugh uh, to see all of the ways that I've got here to pronounce the different names. 
But, but this is a section that you may or may not have been tempted to just skip over altogether. And yet I'm going to tell you that today it is a, not only a life transforming text, this is a text that literally can set the stage for us on how we view all of life, how we view all of life. That it is possible for us, Kyle just said it, it's possible for us today to walk with God. And because of our walk with God, we will live with him forever. That's the text that we're going to see today. So join with me and we'll begin not by reading in the scripture. We're going to pick up reading at the end of chapter four in just a minute. But I want to lead you to look at verse 17 of chapter four. This is where Pastor Keith ended last week. And you're going to have a... Actually, look with me at verse 16. It says, then Cain, this is after killing his brother Abel, he is now going to leave the very presence, the scripture says, of God. This is obviously speaking of relational presence, not spatial presence. You can't do that, but he left a relationship. It says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, one might be curious and say, well, what happens to one who leaves the very presence and blessing of God? What, what happens to him and his lineage, his line, his family? Well, we're actually going to learn in the text that they prosper. It's very confusing. It was confusing for the psalmist who writes, how can the wicked prosper? And here I am you know, struggling. You've probably been there before. Well, that's really what happens here in this text is that they're going to literally begin a society, a culture that says we're gonna be against or away from the very presence of God. We don't need him. And yet they are still going to, in a sense, obey his commandments of being fruitful and multiply and subduing the earth or growing up culture to a point that really is noteworthy. Cain is going to have a son and his name is Enoch. Now, Enoch is not the same Enoch that we're going to talk about in just a little bit, which is super confusing if you're reading through. So in chapter four, you have several names, including Enoch and Lamech, that is going to appear in chapter four and chapter five, but they're different people. I know it's hard. Okay, but you just got to roll with me. They got different dads. It tells us in scripture. Okay, so Cain has a son. His name is Enoch. Either Cain or Enoch or them together, they actually built a city. Now you may have missed that. If you're just reading through and you're just trying to get through these names that are difficult, you may have missed this. They built a city and as we move through, there's seven generations given to us here. Uh, through these generations we have, and I want to list them for you and you can read it for yourself. They have that this, this group of individuals, this line that came from Cain produced music, weapons, agriculture devices, and cities. They developed culture. Isn't that crazy? All that happened. You, you think, well, surely they, they must have just gone and hung out and, you know, did whatever really bad people do. No, they, they, they went off and they started a society, much like many societies, much like in certain cases, our society that tries to build their life around the, there's no need for God. But yet they still prospered there on earth. 
we see all of those things take place. In verse 25, though, there's gonna be a significant change and it's one that will lead us all the way into next week when we study Noah. And what we're gonna see is this, is that even in the midst of great dysfunction and sin, we see the ability for people to live righteous before the Lord. Look with me at verse 25 and we'll begin reading here. It says, this is the word of the Lord. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and she called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. Now this is, should be read parallel to verse 17, where Cain knew his wife, she conceived and she, and she bore Enoch. So we have Enoch that comes through Cain. We have Enosh that comes through Seth. And if we look at these lines, we're gonna see through Cain's line, we see great destruction and sin. We see uh, Lamech who is going to bring about more murder. In fact, he taunts the curse. He, he even speaks of Cain and he says, if you think Cain was violent, you should see me. This guy came up to me, he messed with me. You know what I did? I killed him. He writes it in, it's poetic here. It's in a song, but, but, he, but he says that very thing. You think he's bad, you should see me. You think his guns were big, you ought to see my guns. I'm more violent than he is, than he was. And not only that, he institutes polygamy. So for the first time there in scripture, we see one with two wives. This is not wise. This is not condoned in scripture. But this is what we see happen here in the Bible. If you are new to reading the Bible, you need to understand this about scripture. Scripture does not hide the sin of mankind doesn't hide the dysfunction of mankind. It doesn't give us a list of super moral people who did really good things all the time. That's not what we see. We see an actual story of real life people and this real life man, Lamech, had two wives. Wasn't wise, but that's what he did and he killed a man. You shouldn't do that, but he did. And we're told about it. So we see destruction coming through Seth's line. We then see here, I mean, through not through Seth's line, through Cain's line, we then see a newness here in verse 25 of chapter four when, when Adam is gonna have another son. His name is Seth. Through him, there is one born Enosh. And look at what it says. It says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what is so beautiful about this is that once again, in parallel to the story of Cain, we see he left the very presence of God. He has a line that tries to lead the, leave the very presence of God. And yet we see here, even in the word, it says at that time, people began to call. The word call is the word that we oftentimes, you'll see a phrase like the call, uh, uh, call to worship. It's a word you'll hear in, depending on where you grew up, you'll hear the word invoke. Okay, invoke the presence 
of the Lord, invite the presence of the Lord. You might hear proclaim his friends. What this is, is there is now going to be a lineage of people who they long for or desire, they call upon the presence of God. You understand? So you would miss this if you just read through all quick, but this is supposed to be understood this way as it's written. And so we have a new beginning. Interestingly enough, it's a new beginning that's gonna come before a flood, but it is a new beginning that will lead us to the man on the boat, Noah. Okay? And so, so what we see is at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now let's, let's read, get ready. Whew, chapter five, verse one. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness or the image of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image named and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And then he died. When Seth lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and he had other sons and daughters. I hope you notice a pattern here. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and then church, he, he died. Okay, here we go, we're getting there. When Kenan, here goes a good name. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalil. Bam, get some. Okay, got it. All right, M- M- <laughs> I don't know if I can say it again. Uh, Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalil 840 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalil had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalil lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalil were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's weird. Let's keep going. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. 
When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died after Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, you may be like, wow, that was a really long list that you just read. And I want you to know that we're gonna have great truth that we're gonna bring up from this text that's before us. I want you to look with me at your outline and you'll you'll pretty easily be able to grasp where we're going here. But you notice in this reading, through this listing of 10 generations, you notice a very uh, recognizable refrain It's a refrain that is sung over creation, a refrain that's sung over creation from Adam until it's still singing today, until Jesus Christ comes back. It's the refrain of death. Death is sung over creation. We see truth number one today that death is a reality that all people must face unless Christ returns first. Romans 5 tells us, and Jared read it earlier, not the really old Jared from Genesis 5, but the Jared that's the youth pastor here with the bun. Uh, Romans 5 tells us that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. Sin entered the human race. And so I, I don't know all the philosophies that exist in this room. I don't know of all the theological standpoints that exist in this room, but we can all agree on something and we need to agree on that one thing here today and we'll move on to the other things we need to agree on. But it's this, is that unless something radically changes, you'll die. I mean, does that, make, does that make sense? I mean, can I get like some nodding going on here? I mean, like death is a reality in this world. Chapter two, verse 17, the Lord said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Well, we see death is entered. The scriptures tell us, the Bible tells us in Romans five, that every single man, every single woman, every single person, in the human race, they are now plagued with something called sin that will lead to death. We will die. Uh, Epicurus, who who was an ancient Greek philosopher, died in 270 BC. He said this about death. He said, it is possible to provide security against other, other ills. But as far as death is concerned, we men live in a city that has no walls. We cannot protect ourselves against the curse of death. No matter the success, the popularity, the fame, the beauty, the money, the stuff, there's a day when unless Christ Jesus returns, we'll die. We'll die. Doesn't matter how how good you eat, how much you work out, doesn't matter all those things, you will die. At some point, death awaits us all. World-renowned religious leader, Gandhi, I want to read a quote from him. This was on his deathbed. I think it's interesting 
to read the, the words of dying men. It's typically stripped of hypocrisy. Really helps us see true feelings and beliefs. Gandhi said this. He said, my days are numbered. I'm not likely to live very long, perhaps a year or a little more. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in a slew of despond. All about me is darkness and I am left praying for light. It was Gandhi. In pitch black darkness, as his life came to a close. That's not the case for those in Christ. See, death hurts. Death is a reality, but it's not the case for those who are in Christ. We do not enter or look at death in a slew of despond. We don't look at it with darkness all around us. We grasp hope. I I remember beginning to really uh, feel this deeply not that long ago. Um, I asked Linda if I could share this, but... I went to the hospital for, it was a day that was not very exciting from our human standpoint. It wasn't exciting for a pastor or a friend, but I went into the room where somebody that I looked up to, Joe Southern, uh, was dying. And I saw something that was very interesting. It was a reality I needed. And, and it, was, it was that I watched his friends come into the room. Uh, many, I'm looking at many of you. You came in the room and you, alongside Linda, you went and you spoke to him and you spoke to him words of hope, uh, words of, in some way, sadness of saying, you know, I'm gonna miss you, I love you. But I heard friends tell their friend goodbye, I'll see you again. But it was that reality that I needed that I sat and I watched and I thought, if God allows, there's a day when my friends will come to my bedside and they will pray over me as I go to be with the Lord. What will it be like? What will they say? Will Christ reign in the room like he reigned in that room? Will, will he reign in the room as he has in many rooms that I have been in in the last several months? And death is a reality that we all must face. But I saw Joe Southern take death with victory. We see Paul take death with victory in scripture. He said, yeah, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna get a crown. I'm gonna see Jesus. I want you to be clear. I want you to understand this, leaving the room. Death hurts for the Christian. Death stings for the Christian in this sense is that even when Jesus walked up to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who he knew he would raise, even when he walked up to the tomb, he felt the sting of death, the grief that comes with death, and he wept. Though he knew he would raise him in moments. Death is a reality that we all will face unless Christ comes first. And death is something that is not hidden in scripture. 
Here, these men lived long, long years. There's plenty of interpretations about this, but the, the viewpoint that has been from, from when the scripture was written and taken in the church until now, the, the interpretation was for most, was that these men really lived the amount of years that the scripture says. It wasn't symbolic. It wasn't some different calendar. They actually lived this amount of years. I don't know if that's a fun thing or, or what, but they lived 900. We have 969 years that Methuselah lived. But at the end of that, he did what? He died. It doesn't really matter how long they lived, they died. And and so we see that, it's a refrain. But we see a better refrain that is echoed from cover to cover, and it is this, and we see it here uh, in this chapter, and it's the refrain that those who walk with God, number two, those who walk with God, they live with God. The phrase walk with God is, is a phrase that's common in scripture. It really just talks about intimacy with the one that you're walking with. In this case, intimacy with God. It's the biblical expression of fellowship or obedience that results in divine favor. Walking with God. We're told that there's one here in the midst of the refrain of death who skips out on the curse. Did you see it? He skips out. In God's power, he just takes him out. Enoch, he walked with God. One day he was not, for God took him. I want you to hold your place there. Flip over quickly with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I I want you to see it for yourself. Hebrews 11, verse five. I'll be reading it now. It says this about Enoch. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found, he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, we're told it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I want you to know this about Enoch and it's gonna connect to us today who believe. Enoch had faith in his God. He had faith in God in this time, in this time where there was certainly wickedness all around. We'll see that uh, very clearly next week in Genesis 6. But even in this time, Enoch was able to walk with God. He walked with him. He had faith in God. Enoch's faith, we're told, pleased God. And then what is very important for us to get is that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. God looked at his faith and he counted it as righteousness. We'll learn how he was able to do that when we understand the resurrection of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he was able to look upon the death of his son and count that one, the Old Testament saint, the one who believed God and walked in his ways because he believed his promises. He was able to count the life of Christ uh, on Enoch's life. His faith was counted to him as righteous. Now, Jesus told his friends there, same scene that we were talking about earlier, when Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus, he, he, is, uh, he is speaking to Martha 
And he tells Martha, Martha's Lazarus' sister, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, what's it say? Shall never die. See, we see here that though this is a very unique situation in Genesis 5, and it is, there's only two circumstances that we see in Scripture where someone just skipped out on death altogether. We see Enoch and we see Elijah. Elijah was taken up in a chariot. I, I don't know how God took Enoch. If it was in a chariot, I don't know. But he, he, he took him and he took Elijah. Both of them, because of the power and the grace of God, they just skipped out on death. They skipped out. But for all of us who are in Christ, all of those who walk with God, we are told in Scripture we have the promise we will live with Him. Every one of us. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He asked Martha a question. I'll ask every single one of you. I have to ask myself this all the time. It's healthy. The question was, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because believing this, believing something about what is coming in your future affects the way that you live in the present. In fact, I would say that the way that you're, you view your future glory has everything to do with how you live in your present circumstances. You will not worry in the same way. You will not have anxiety in the same way because you know that God loves you and he's for you. You know that he has provided a way for you to walk with him and have life. And one of you here, someone here may say, how can you say that? And I wanna lead you to our third and final point today. And it's this, it's a beautiful truth. Is that Jesus Christ, he walked with us. And he died so that we might walk with him and live. It's the gospel of Jesus just coming into chapter five of Genesis. That Jesus Christ, he walked with us and he died so that we might walk with him and live in his resurrected life. The one thing all men have in common is death, but the one thing all men in Christ have in common is life. It is very true today that Satan is at work and he is doing what he does and it is he is here to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is here and he has come that you might have life. That you may have life. God is for you today. He is not against you. How do we know? Because he sent his son. His son died in our place. I wanna lead you to our, our final application there. We're gonna walk through this very quickly. Our final application is, you might say, well, how do I find life? And, and I, I want you to know, you come to Christ and then you do these things. Here we go. A, I want you to see you find life as you walk with Christ through his word, through his word. Listen to God's word. Uh, John 3, we're told that if we look to Christ, we'll live. 
We look to him, we'll be given a gift of grace. Look to him and live. John 11, we're told that Jesus is, he said, I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. Second Timothy 1.10 is probably my favorite phrase in this letter to Timothy, where we're told in verse 10, it says that Jesus uh, appeared, the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who, look what he did. It says he abolished death. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. First Corinthians 15, wonderful chapter on the resurrection. We're told in verse 26, I'll start in verse 24. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. This is Jesus, the work of Christ. He'll put all enemies under his feet. Look at this last phrase. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death. He will kill death. Do you see? Death will one day die because of Jesus. It will be no more. Verse 55 in that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ swallowed up death. It will one day be no more. Hallelujah. Revelation 21, the refrain of death is gone. It is gone forever. Revelation 21, we see, then I saw a new heaven, a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. That means he'll walk with us forever. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. He also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and they're true. For us to live with Christ, for us to have a life of walking with him, we must know his promised word. You must know God's word. We're not asking you to read his word so you can check off some kind of box or so that you can feel accomplished. That's not what we're asking you to do. I don't need you to read a certain amount every day. I don't need you to have some kind of rule that you've made up in your house about how much you need to read God's word. I want you to know God's word because God's promised life is in here. This is how we live. This is how we will move. It is because we will hear from God and he will speak into our lives. Even in a world with the refrain of death being sung over us, we will hear the refrain of life through the very power of God's word. 
We must know God's word. Find your life as you walk with Christ through his word. Secondly, find life as you walk with Christ through communion with him in prayer. You not only need to have God's word spoken into your life, you need to have God's word prayed over your life. That's my favorite thing about our life groups. It can happen anywhere. It can happen anywhere that, that, that Christians get together. But the life group right now is the, is the clearest place I see this happening most effectively. And it's where people pray over one another. It's life-changing for me. I know it would be for you. We need to have God's word prayed over us and us be in prayer, communing, walking with him, speaking with him, talking with him like a person just talks to a friend. Jesus tells us we can go to him as father. See, we need to find life as you walk with Christ through connecting with him through the community of his church. You can walk with God as you walk with his people. Some of the most practical things you can do in learning how to follow God is just connect yourself to people who know him. Connect yourself in fellowship and be a part of his people. There's not some kind of formula that you have to know to walk with God effectively. Most of you in this room, if I got you one-on-one, I ask, how's your walk with God? How are you walking with him? You would get so nervous and not know how to say, you would tell me about how you're not praying as much as you ought, reading as much as you ought. And I'm telling you, what you need to learn is God's for you. He wants you. He wants to walk with you. And often the way that he does that most effectively is when you walk next to a brother or sister in Christ. That's how he does it. Please connect yourself to the people of God. We will walk with him. Lastly, find life as you walk with Christ through sacrificing with him, through serving. I don't know how to say it another way. The the best way that I know that you can walk in fellowship with his people as you begin to understand the very promises of God, as you begin to understand the implications of prayer is that you must begin to give yourself to something outside of yourself. Give yourself to something that's bigger than you, that's bigger than your family. Begin to think about all the gifts and the talents that you have, the resources that you have and how you can use them to serve not only this church body, but the entire world. Serve the very mission of God going out. Serve those who are oppressed and downcast. Maybe you say, I am downcast today. Well, then come and serve those who are downcast with you. Come and pour your life into the life that God has for you. You are his masterpiece, Ephesians 2 says. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Come and serve, and as you serve, find life walking with Christ. I'm going to ask you to, to stand. I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up and lead us. And, and here's what we need to do is maybe today you feel very cloudy on your walk with God. I want this to be an open environment. It doesn't help if you come into the room all guarded and then you leave guarded. That doesn't do anything for your walk with Jesus. It doesn't do anything. Nobody thinks of you more highly than they ought to. It's probably just in your mind that you're worried about what people think about you. I want you to know what you need to do is humbly come before the Lord. You can do that where you are. You can do that here, but come before the Lord and say, I wanna walk with you. I wanna connect with your people. I wanna serve with you. I wanna walk with you and live with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you 
for walking with us and dying so that we can conquer with you, so that we can walk with you and live. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, work in the lives of people here today. Bring people to yourself. May they connect their lives with you, the God of the universe. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.